Um, if you have a Bible with you this evening, would you turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6? And just by way of a little bit of introduction to this, I wanted to tell you that uh, this was something that we brought to, uh, we have staff devotions every week, we brought it a couple of weeks ago and some people encouraged me to share it here tonight, so uh, I hope it's going to be of some value and I hope it serves the purposes of God. Matthew chapter 6, a very familiar story to us, Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000, so uh, let's just start reading together from verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. There was a repeated sense when Jesus recognizes the humanity of people that he is moved with compassion. Aren't you grateful for that? I think that's wonderful. It always heartens me that we're not lost in the crowd where Jesus is concerned. We're not another number, not another face, not another statistic. God is interested in people. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them saying many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. And we, are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish amongst all of them. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word. I want to start by drawing your attention to what I think is a principle in the kingdom of God. And that's a principle that I would call the gap. So we find ourselves sitting with Jesus and thinking with Jesus and abiding with the thoughts of the disciples in a moment where there is this massive need before them and yet the supply seems so insignificant. Have you ever been in a situation where your life felt like that? That what was required was so extensive and actually you felt particularly small? Have you ever found yourself praying for God to do something glorious to find out that all that happened in that was he supplied something of some value but it never quite met the mark or it never quite fulfilled what you hoped it would? Well, can I just tell you that that's what I have learned to call the gap principle. You see, it's God's nature to lead his people into fullness. Amen? And for that to happen, he needs to create a gap. A gap is good for us. It causes us to move from self-reliance into a position of God dependence. 
If you could attain a miracle or a, a, a situation by human effort, you wouldn't need God to be involved in the first place. And so it's God's great heart for his people to allow there to be this great gaping gap between who they are and what is required. And you can see in this particular context that gap is great. There are 5,000 men, not counting women and children, in need of food. And the supply looks particularly small. I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't know if I would be rejoicing if that's what was the alternative. But the gap is good. I want you to say that out loud. Now, I know you don't feel good in it. <laughs> and I know it doesn't appear good at first. But actually, the gap is really good for you. Turn to the person on your right-hand side and say, the gap is really good for you. And you can turn back to them and say, back at you too. Back at you too. It's good for you. When I start to think about this principle, I realize that it turns up on a regular basis in my life with God. I remember the first time I ever went to a youth meeting and I was sitting there minding my own business. You know you can't do that in church, don't you? Everybody else seems to be minding your business as you're minding your own business, don't they? And I was sitting at the back, it was dark, and a, a gentleman tapped me on the shoulder and this is what he said to me, we'd love you to share your testimony. And I thought, no. I did, my mouth didn't speak, but inside I was going like this. And he said, no, no, it's a customary thing. You could see the look on my face that anybody who's new to us in this little community shares their testimony. And I said, I'm sorry, but I won't be doing that. And he said, no, no, I don't think you heard me. It's a customary thing that when anybody comes to be part of this, that they share their testimony. Now, I had never spoken publicly in my life. Never spoken. I, I, I was the kind of person that would attend church and I would pray little quiet prayers. And if I was in any small group, I would fade into the background. And suddenly I find myself being introduced. And this is Simon and he's going to share his testimony. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You may have found it in a cell group or you've been invited to something and suddenly you're in a situation and somebody is expecting something from you that you don't feel capable or able to produce. And you know, everything went through my mind. Where do I start? I was three. Does it need to be so far back? Then I was five. Then I, Everything was running through my mind at a thousand miles an hour. And I decided to start at a moment in my life where everything changed. And that was the moment that I did the Eurovision Song Contest. Now you can tell I'm clearly a star. But, but it changed because this was something I was attaining for and believing would change my life and actually it made no difference whatsoever. In fact, it did the opposite for me. It caused things to become more difficult because once you do the Eurovision Song Contest, nobody with any taste in music will ever use you again. In fact, the song that we sang has more la-la-las than any other Eurovision song that tells you the quality of the music and it's in the Guinness Book of Records. There was a wee buzz when I turned on the radio and it was playing in Ireland as I was w working with a band then, but actually at the time it was completely disappointing. It was what we would call in life an anti-climax. Ever had one of those? Ever thought it would turn into something good and it turned out to be something not so good? Yes? Well, that was my moment and I started at that point. And of course, you know, back then people were a little impressed that they knew anybody in television. Now everybody's on television. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever, does it? And if you haven't been on television, there's always Crime Watch. Isn't there? 
So, so I started from that point, and I didn't know why I started there. I wasn't really thinking very clearly. I just knew that it was a time in my life where something in me started to search for something more than I had. And I began to tell the story of how these two gentlemen led me to Jesus and how my life was impacted and how God had changed everything. And you know, it felt like a month. It seemed like the longest thing ever. And after what was probably about five or maybe 10 minutes, I opened my eyes because I was trying to say it with my eyes shut. I was so frightened of the people. And I looked around in the room and people were weeping. That's how bad my life's been. No, they were weeping because the sense of God in those moments of clarity as I was sharing what Christ had done for me, actually people could identify with the stories, they could identify with the insecurities, they could identify with the brokenness of my childhood. And God was ministering and I thought, goodness me, you know, who would have even thought that that kind of place where people could connect with Jesus could be actually facilitated by just a story about somebody's life? But you know, I'd love to tell you that that was the beginning of ministry, but it was everything but. I decided to go back to singing and avoid all of that and not get involved in it at all because the gap seemed so big. The gap was huge. These were people that had come to church all their life, many of them. I wouldn't know where to begin to try and minister to people like that. But I recognized as I look back and I recognize as I look back that God always creates a gap. Do you remember the first time you were asked to pray at a cell group? Your heart kind of lifted itself out of your chest into your mouth. Do you remember that? Do you remember the first time you witnessed to somebody about Jesus? I mean, God made it so specific that you couldn't avoid it. And trust me, I know you probably tried. Okay, but suddenly you were there in a moment and you think, what will I say? How will I say it? See, God loves to create a gap because in a gap, where something is required that we in our natural capacity don't have the ability to do, all that we can do is depend on the goodness of God. All that we can do is close our eyes and say, okay, God, I'm going. I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But Lord, I know that you have invited me to stand in this place where something impossible is about to happen. And I know it can't be my resources that makes it happen. Every time we pray for somebody that's sick, that gap becomes apparent to me. This morning at somewhere around 8.30, we're praying for a young lady who's got uh, uh, kidney problems and I can't even remember her name. God bless me. I'm lousy with nails. But as I lay my hands on her, 16 years of age, I realized there was a gap. I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know how to pray. I wasn't even sure that this particular family knew anything about God whatsoever. But actually, I was asked to pray. And so the gap was produced. And I trust that God will fill it with his glory. Now, here's the thing. If we understand the gap principle, we start to get a little bit less anxious when these moments come. Because God is such a good father, he will always create gaps because he wants you to move out of self and to move into what is the resource of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to operate in faith. Here's the phrase that I believe sums it up. He wants us to move out of self-reliance into God-dependence. Now, you know how that works. Because sometimes you've done everything and it hasn't worked. And your last resort is your first place. I wish sometimes we would go there before we try everything else. But actually God in his wisdom knows that we have to get over ourselves a little bit before we can start to discover who he truly is. Now in the gap, you start to see the nature of God. In the gap, you start to see the power of God. 
in the gap. You start to understand God's ways. It's in this gap that we begin to grow. And we start to have what I would call spiritual growth spurts. Suddenly, once you've been through one of these gap experiences, it's a little bit like, you know, um, one of those cartoon things we go, our faith increases. Have you noticed that? Anybody ever been on a mission? Yes? Give me a wave if you've been on a mission. Is there or isn't there a gap? You turn up and you're full of faith and then you see the people's faces. And you're there and you're thinking, God, help me. I don't know what to say. And there's somebody who's brought you that's saying, and now so-and-so's going to give their testimony and you're going. You're hoping that somebody else will do it. There's a gap. A gap between what is needed, what's set before you, and your capacity to be able to fill it. But so help us, Lord, in every gap you come by the power of your Spirit. When it's a gap that's been produced by God, God chooses to fill it with his glory. And something happens in us. Something shifts for us. And we start to feel enlarged in the kingdom of God. Not proud, not arrogant, just really a sense of the blessing of God. Now in this story, the gap was huge. There's 5,000 men not counting women and children. And Jesus is allowing this to happen purposefully because he wants his disciples to see what happens whenever the need is great. He wants them to understand the nature of God to meet the needs of great and glorious things even though their supply is small. And so can you imagine the scene with me, please? There are 5,000 men not counting women and children. Jesus presents to the disciples the gap and they come back to him with five loaves and a couple of fish. Now, if you were Jesus, what would you do in a moment like that? And if you were one of the disciples recognizing this great need, how would you respond in a moment like that? Now, this is something I've learned too. That where there's a gap, there's always a supply. If there's a gap between what God is inviting me to be party to and what I currently have, there is always a supply. And the story clearly tells to us, this poor little boy came out thinking he was going to have a hearty lunch. I mean, that's a lot of food for a little kid, isn't it? Okay, and he comes out, he's going to have a hearty lunch, and suddenly he's catapulted into the center of the purposes of God. What was incidental becomes incremental in the purposes of God. There's always supply when there's a gap. Now, don't you let the devil lie to you, okay, because often the gap can be paralyzing. When we have a gap between what God wants us to do or invites us to and what we have, we should not be paralyzed by it. We're about to see a miracle. We're about to see God move in power. We're about to see God fill the space with his glory. We're about to see something extraordinary. The gap is good. The gap is good for you. It's good for me. It teaches us about God. It teaches us about his nature. And so right in the middle of the gap, right in the middle of the need, right in the middle of the expansive reality of what they're facing, a little boy comes and the disciples meet with him and he has a couple of loaves and some fish and this is the supply. Now, principle number two. Where there is a gap, there is a supply. But God chooses to meet the need in seed-like form. 
Now, perhaps the disciples were expecting manna from heaven. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time God had done that. But Jesus chooses not to go that route. He takes something seemingly very small and he does something extraordinary with it. So I don't know what your gap is tonight. I don't know what, where you're, you're at in life, the space between what you need to have and what you have. And I'm not just talking financially. This can be all kinds of things. <clears throat> but the gap is good and you already have a seed-like answer in the midst of it. You just have to go searching for it. Amen? Amen? So God is the supplier of all our needs. Is that not true? Is God not generous? Yes? Is God not pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing in his nature and his character? If all of that is true, then why does he answer our need with something that seems particularly small? You know, you're praying for a financial breakthrough when somebody gives you a pound. Yes? You're saying, God, I really need promotion. And you get promotion and it's cleaning out the toilets as well as everything else that you do. Have you ever noticed that when you're praying for that gap to be filled, there seems to be a supply? But the problem with the supply is it doesn't come the way we expect it to. It doesn't look like it can resolve the problem. Amen? I remember one time when I was at Bible college, I had no money whatsoever and it was a really big deal for me because I got used, having been poor as a child, I got used to having some nice things. And I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying that God would do something and I come out of my room at Bible college and sellotaped to my door is an envelope. Now, my needs were extensive. Hundreds and hundreds of pounds I needed to pay my college fees and various things. <clears throat> And guess what was in the envelope? Five pounds. Five pounds. And you know, in a moment, I just, I, I don't know if you did this, but I went, really God? Seriously? And you know what was really bad about this story? Instead of being grateful for what the Lord had given me, okay, I was a little bit kind of upset with him. And I go to a friend of mine across the corridor who also needed his fees paid. And he's telling me all about how he has no money at all to buy food and all of that. And we were kind of in the same situation. And the Holy Spirit said to me, give him the fiver. <laughs> give him the fiver. Do you know it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life? I mean, I wasn't that happy with it turning up. But I was even more upset with it going away. That night I went to bed and I had a dream. And in that dream, we used to have this kind of box area where all of our mail would come in when we were students. This is before it got fancy. This was basic Bible college. And uh, under F, you would get your, your letters and whoever's alphabetical. And in my dream, I saw myself going towards what we would call the pigeonholes. I, I, I was going towards the pigeonholes and I knew that when I opened an envelope, there was going to be some kind of breakthrough. And so the following morning, I'm just going the usual routine, you know, you, you go to devotions and you're on your way up to your classroom and I thought, I'll just check my mail. And as I stepped towards the pigeonholes, I remembered that the night before I'd had this dream. And in that dream, the, the Lord had showed me that he was going to do something miraculous. And so I take this envelope out, it's got my name written on, I don't recognize the handwriting, and inside is a check for £2,000. Just repeat after me, the gap is good. 
The gap is good for us. The gap is good because it teaches us to lean in on God and it causes us to move out of self-reliance into a posture of expectancy and God dependence. <clears throat> when you don't have an alternative, where else are you going to go? And it's, it sounds really uncomfortable, but actually it's very good for us. It's really good for our souls to be stretched in that way. And often when God supplies, it doesn't look like it's enough. Now, let me tell you what I learned about this. I believe, it's my own conviction, that every time God answers prayer, he answers it in a seed-like way. You see, you're looking for grand and glorious things, don't we? I mean, you like drama. Let's keep it real. You like the drama. You want the heavens to open. And who's praying for the heavens to open? <laughs> you want the heavens to open or, you know, you want God to bring this, you know, it's like you want the heavenly lottery to suddenly turn up in your life and resolve all your problems. And we have, I think, sometimes a misunderstanding about how God resources our lives. My conviction is that God always answers. Say that to yourself, please. God always answers. But he answers in seed-like form. In comparison to the need here, this supply looks very insufficient. Okay? Now, there's been many, many times, I've just told you that story about Bible college, but many, many times where I'm praying for God to do something great and something small happens. Perhaps this is why the scriptures tell us we should be faithful with little. Perhaps little is good in the kingdom of God. Perhaps the whole point is we get to see that God could do more with less. Now everybody knows how many seeds there are in an apple. Don't they? Do you? No, neither do I. I just made that up. But nobody knows how many apples there are in a seed. When God gives you a seed, it may not look like it's enough. But it's more than enough. It's a pressed down, shaken up, overflowing reality of enough. And you've got to partner with that seed. You've got to do something with what God's given you for it to start to produce a harvest. I don't know how many times during the course of my 34 years of walking with Jesus, I've been praying for great and glorious things to happen. And God begins to do something in a very small way. We heard tonight Jean say, we're speaking of revival and we're testifying that God wants to pour out his spirit. But here's the key to how that happens. We see a cloud the size of a man's hand. In relationship to the whole panoramic view of what revival can look like, here's how we start to identify it when we start to see it happening in small ways. And if you partner with the seed-like invitations of God, those things will start to build and increase and become something far more than you ever imagined they could. Your seed has the power to cause you to succeed. Your, your seed has everything in it that God desires to do through you. You've got to partner with it. Now, Jesus does something in this story that I think is important. When the bread comes, he doesn't say, I only like wholemeal. I'm not too keen on fish. You know, maybe it could have been a burger. Jesus doesn't discredit what the Father has provided. Now, there's so many times in my life, so many times, where God answers and it's a seed-like form, and I actually think, well, I'm not really sure I like that, or couldn't you have done it that way, God? 
Are you not a little pernickety with him like me? No? Come on, tell the truth. God always answers when there's a gap. When we see the need for something to happen and we don't have the resources, our God, who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, allows the gap for us to call on his name so that he can come and reveal his nature and his character to us. He will always answer you in seed-like form. Now, when Jesus received the bread and he received the fish, he did not complain that it looked insufficient. How are you doing with that? How are we doing with that? He recognized that his father was good. Amen? That God was able and capable of turning something very small and simple into something amazing. You see, I think sometimes we don't realize that all of this is about God partnering with us and us partnering with him. Every time God answers prayer in seed-like form, we need more faith to be added to it, not less faith. Father, I may not understand, but I know that you're good. Father, I can't comprehend how you could turn all of this around and make something good, but you have given me something in my hand. You are the provider of my needs. If I asked you, if I asked you, Father, for bread, you would not give me a stone. Your heart is not like that, God. So you've answered my prayer, and I'm not going to complain with your answer because I may not understand everything, but I know that you are good. I know that you are God, and I know that you're capable of doing mighty and glorious things, even if the supply looks a little bit less than I anticipated. Amen? Now, you've been praying, and you've been praying, and you've been praying, and the gap looks big, and I want to tell you that in your life you have seed. God has planted seed. It may be a thought. Some of you want breakthrough in your business. God gave you a thought and you thought it was the devil. Do you know that his thoughts are not our thoughts? His words are not our words and his ways are not our ways. So in your life you have promises. Does anybody here have a prophetic word from God? A scripture that keeps reoccurring across your spiritual journey? Those are inheritance words. You can live in the reality of those promises. And they may look like a seed, but actually they're the beginning of something wonderful happening as God begins to fill the space with his goodness and his glory. Seeds are important and God turns up in our lives when the gap looks so great and he gives us a seed. He gives us a few fish, a couple of loaves. It doesn't look too much. What we do with it is really important. I'll come to that in a minute. Now let me tell you something that I think perhaps reinforces this thought for our consideration and deliberation. God looked down on humanity and saw our desperation. Amen? The world is in chaos. Men and women have detached themselves from the God who created them. They have given themselves over to all kinds of counterfeit lusts and pleasures. The heart of God seems like a distant memory to humanity. The world is in chaos and sin rules and reigns. And God decides from the foundations of the earth, here's how I'm going to resolve the problem. I'm going to plant a seed. And he planted a seed in a young girl's womb in the back end of nowhere. And that seed grew up to be the child, the Christ, the Son of God. In a hidden, unseen, submersive way, God planted seed at the heart of humanity and brought salvation for mankind. 
Who would have thought that that moment when Mary encountered the angel and the Lord planted in her the seed of the Christ, that salvation would come that particular way? God has been planting seeds in your life. They have the power to change everything. You perhaps don't realize what you're carrying. You perhaps don't understand the way that God wants to do it. I don't sometimes too, that's true. But God never lacks in answering prayer. He has already answered your prayer. I'm speaking to someone here tonight. Some of you have been praying for a breakthrough in your business. God has given you an idea and you have not necessarily valued it. Some of you have been asking God to help in relationships and God has spoken to you. He's given a seed and you've not necessarily liked it. When someone's been bad to you and God says, here's the seed of changing it all, forgive them. Well, no, God, you know, I think they should come and apologize. I think God, they, they're the ones. Do you know, the kingdom of heaven comes to us in seed form. It was a seed the day that you got saved that changed everything. Something was planted in your soul that now turned into salvation. You may have heard the gospel a thousand times before, but somehow the soil of your heart was ready to receive the planting of the Lord. And God began to deposit in you something that was quite, quite glorious, knowing to us a salvation. And it's growing and it's flourishing and it's maturing. And in spite of your best efforts to resist some of that, God is more powerful than you. The kingdom of heaven comes in seed form. I want to move my mind away from the grandiose and start to understand that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom that comes and it comes in so beautifully and, and submersive ways that I don't always recognize the potential. So here we have this story. So we have two things that are important just to identify before we move on to the third one. The first thing is God creates the gap. Please don't get angry with him. Don't get frustrated. It's his invitation for you to see his goodness and his glory manifest. The gap is good. It's good for you. It's good for humanity. It's good for the kingdom. And the Lord delights in creating them for us. The need is always greater than our capacity to do something about it. And that's really good news because when I look across our nation and I see the state of our nation morally, I think the gap is great, God the outcome is going to be phenomenal. And you know how God will answer that? He'll put a seed in a human heart and a revolution will start to take place called revival to us and God will start to move in power. One day someone will be praying, perhaps it's you, I hope it's me. <laughs> and the Lord just begins to speak and something starts to take place of a supernatural capacity. And it may seem small or the size of a cloud or a man's hand, but actually has the potential to change everything. God always answers. So there's the gap and then there's the supply and it may not look quite how you want it to, but please do not do what most of us do and dismiss it. And you can see from the story that Jesus didn't do that. He embraced the supply. And then there's this third dynamic of how the kingdom is extended. He took the bread, he took the fish, and he did something that's so not British. He gave thanks. Amen. You know, when I got that Fiverr sellotape to my door, when I look back on that, oh, with all my heart, I wish I'd given thanks. Who knows? The check could have been for 10,000 pounds. That would have been good. But you know, my culture 
is always drawn to what I don't have. My culture, the way I was raised, is always thinking about my lack. Isn't that true of the Western world generally? When, when we were in Glasgow, we saw loads of miracles take place. I mean, God moved in power. But you know, we'd get the people up and we'd say, tell us what the Lord is doing. And this lady came up one night and it was just a moment of clarity for me. I said, you know, what's, what's wrong with you? And she said, oh, I've had um, a sciatic nerve in my back and uh, both my legs have been numb. And I said, well, how are we doing tonight? You know, if the Lord's touched, yes, the Lord's touched me. And I said, you know, is, is it any better? And she said, I still have pain. I said to her, well, is it any better? And she said, yeah, but it still feels strange. I said, so it is better, because I wasn't sure what she was saying. And she said, yeah, it's a lot better. I said, well, on a scale of one to 10, you know how we all do this when you pray for people, how much better is it? Is it 1% better? She said, oh no, I came in and it was around about a one, and now it's about an eight and a half. And so I looked at her in the face and I said, so God has done something for you. Yes, but it still hurts. It still hurts me here. I said to her, you know, if you went to the doctors with your sciatic nerve, have you been to the doctors? With, yes, I've tried everything. I've had all kinds of, you know, manipulation on my spine. I said, have you ever been where it got like up to like eight and a half, nine? And she said, no, the best was a two. I said, well, did you tell anybody when it got a bit better? Oh, I told everybody when I got to a two. I said, well, God has got you to an eight and a half and you can't thank him. And suddenly it became clear to her. You see, what we do in the Western world, we always identify what God hasn't done. We don't pay attention to what God is doing. It's almost like a poverty mindset that needs to shift for us. If you want to see the blessing of God, count them. You're not going to see them if you don't count them. And when God does things for you, celebrate them. Lift your hands and lift your voice and praise Him. And it may only be small, but it's the beginning of something great. Okay, and as you begin to thank him, the increase begins to come. Now Jesus lifts his voice and thanks his Father in heaven. He's not complaining about what looks like a small supply to a great need. He understands his Father's heart and he knows that he is good. And right here in his hands is the answer to the needs of these people. He doesn't complain whether it's brown or cod or fillet or whatever it is. He lifts his voice before the Father in heaven and he gives him thanks. Now, when we give thanks, we enter into the realms of the heavenlies. If heaven had a language, it would be gratefulness. If there was a vocabulary to learn in the West at this point, it's thankfulness. Give thanks with a grateful heart. God, I will come into your courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I will come before you with praise. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You see, we are so defaulting to a negative perspective of lack. We don't pay attention to the supply that's under our nose. God is good. And he answers prayer. The gap is good. The supply is good. It may look small, but it has the potential to go far further than you first anticipate. And the key to unlocking its potential is to be grateful, to be thankful before the Lord. Do you know, I don't know how many times I've prayed for something, I've got it, and then I've complained about it. Is anybody like me? Come on, talk to me, please. You know, you say, oh God, I just, I need a new car. God, I need a car. I need a car. That would be good, wouldn't it? God, I need a car. And you get a car and you think, I don't like the color. 
A friend of mine prayed for years for a husband. Years and years for a husband. Oh, Lord, bring me a man, bring me a man. I mean, this is strange. I wouldn't recommend it, ladies. But she put a pair of trousers on a, on a, on a kind of shelf in her bedroom and she said, God, one day would you fill them with a man? Would you fill those trousers with a man? And guess what he did? He did, praise the Lord. Ladies, praise the Lord. Okay, and then a few years passed and we were at a wedding and it was great and it was wonderful and a couple of years passed and we saw him again. They were kind of loosely connected with my family and um, <clears throat> I see her and I'm sitting at another, I think it was probably a funeral this time, and I'm saying to her, how do you like being married? And she just went, So I was a bit surprised because the last time it was a big deal, you know. And she said, you know what? She said, I am sick of picking up after this man. <laughs> she said, we've had to go and talk to the pastor in the church because this man just, he thinks the floor is his wardrobe. And I'm listening to her and I think, something's not quite right about this picture. And I said to her, did we not agree in prayer? And we all agreed in prayer that God would give you a man. Yes, but I'd have liked a tidier one. I'd have liked a cleaner one. And I'd like one that was more sensitive to my needs. So really, you'd like yourself. <laughs> it's yourself you wanted. That's where we got to in the conversation. But it's so true of us. You know, we pray all the time, God, would you do something? Would you do something? God gives us the something we're praying for. It may not look like we want it to. Okay, it may not feel like enough. And then we default to complaining. You see, our minds have been trained outside of relationship with him not to be very expectant or joyous. And we need our minds to come into partnership you see, if I ask for something in my heart, shouldn't my mouth come into agreement with what I'm asking? Is not the overflow of my heart my mouth? God bless me, but not with that one. God, could you touch my life? I don't want him to pray for me. God. Jesus knew that that was not how this worked. The gap was big, it was great. The need looked small, but God was good. Sorry, the supply was small, but God was good. And he doesn't complain. And he doesn't try and make something happen. He lifts his voice before the Father in heaven and thanks him for all that he has given. And then the fourth thing. After thankfulness, generosity. So the kingdom is extended through these principles. There's always a gap, amen? I know I'm treating you like children, but bear with me, these are important principles to remember because tomorrow morning you're gonna wake up and find them to be true, okay? There's a gap, hallelujah. The gap is a great day. You're not convinced, are you? The gap is a great day. It's good for you, it's good for the kingdom, and it's a great place to learn about the nature and the character of God. The gap is good. I'm not moving until you come into agreement with that. Okay. The supply may look like it's insufficient, but it's an all-sufficient supply. 
okay, it may give, be given to you in seed form, but in, in it is the potential to change everything about that situation. And I tell you what, as you come later in the story, you know that it may not look like much at the beginning, but actually through this process, it turns into excess. You have seed. Value that seed, cherish that seed. And thirdly, be thankful for what the Lord does. Stop complaining about what you haven't got and celebrate what he's given you. Amen. Amen. As you celebrate what he's giving you, the kingdom will start to open up. And the extensive nature of God will become apparent to you. And then fourthly, always give away what you get. See, if I don't think like a son of God, my tendency is to actually operate like an orphan. And here's what an orphan would do. I keep everything for myself. Because I do not believe there is someone taking care of me. I do not believe that there is going to be a supply. If I give what I have away right now, I may never get it again. Okay, and some of us have become heavenly hoarders. God gives us stuff and we just want to keep hold of it. We're frightened it will slip through our fingers like it's perishable. It's not perishable. But you see, if you do that, if you hold what God gives you, a revelation, an insight, an understanding, an opportunity, whatever it is, if you hold it, then it doesn't grow. It doesn't grow. And so after thankfulness, we become generous. And Jesus breaks the bread, and I would imagine like we do here, he gave it first to his disciples. And then they gave it to these groups that are sitting down on the grass. And here's the interesting thing. What started out as small managed to sit in the hand of over 5,000, not counting men and women and children's hands. What started out that could probably be held in two hands actually met the needs of multiple thousands of hands. Okay, but the hand had to give it away. Now, if you don't see that as valuable, let me help you with that. God is exceptionally generous. Blessed be the name of the Lord, he gives. The scriptures tell us it's more blessed to give, now I know you're still struggling with this, <laughs> than it is to receive. Because when we give, it will be given to us, pressed down, shaken up and overflowing. So if you get a revelation, you've got a divine orchestration. God wants you to sow that in somebody else's life. You see, I think evangelism could be so much more fun if we gave some things away. <laughs> some of you have insights to the nature and the character and the person and the purposes of God, and you're hoarding them. Oh God, I just need more. I often think sometimes when Christians pray for the Spirit to come, they want a reservoir. God, just fill me up, God. Fill my cup, Lord. Me, 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 me. Do you know that the river of God is alive? There's no stagnant water in the kingdom of heaven. That, that river that's blessing is giving to you is meant to flow through you to somebody else. And as it flows through you to somebody else, God gets glory. Because another life is impacted by the expansive gap that is in their lives. They start the journey to. When I first understood this principle, <clears throat> I was blown away because... I didn't understand much, and I, even all these years later, I'm still learning a lot about who God is. But actually, when we start to reach to another, when we've received from our Father, something heavenly happens on earth. When I give away what I've been given, 
Not because I'm fully satisfied by it yet. I may be partially satisfied. I enter into heavenly contracts with other people where God can move in power through my ordinary life and do extraordinary things. The principles work in just about every facet of my life. If God gives me a revelation when I'm talking to somebody, I don't sit on it. I'm not trying to be clever. I don't even think of myself in those terms. But if I sense something from the Spirit, I want to be sure to offer bread to somebody. Because I don't know how hungry that person is. I don't know what their gap is like. Sometimes I'm a little insular in my own gap. And maybe they get a seed that's handed from me to them that starts the journey with God. I often say to people, if I pray for you, you'll notice this. Just thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. It's not because I'm trying to be clever with you. I just believe whatever we pass on to one another, if we thank the Lord for what the Lord is giving and what the Lord is doing, increase will start to happen. And beyond that moment, give it away to somebody else. You see, we should be gossiping the gospel through stories and testimonies where God has met our supply and our need, albeit in what seems very small and insignificant ways, but has the potential to actually change everything. And right at the end of this story, the reality of the kingdom becomes apparent because such is the excess of this moment that started out so small in its supply that there are 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 baskets. How amazing is that for a few loaves and a couple of fish? Isn't God amazing? Isn't God phenomenal in the way that he moves? Isn't God exceptional in his capacity to supply our needs and some? Our needs and some.